Father, we just come to you this evening. We pray, Father, that you speak to us. Speak to us, O Lord. Give us wisdom, give us understanding of the Holy One. Give us understanding of your kingdom. Give us understanding of how your kingdom works. Give us understanding, O Father, of your word, that we might have the knowledge to make the right choices in life. And give us the strength to make those choices. Speak to us this evening once again, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Sunday, most of you were there, but if you weren't there, the message is there on the website. But Sunday we saw about why we need convictions. We looked at, in in passing, we looked at, we make, everybody makes decisions. Either our decisions are made because of our circumstances. We look at our circumstances, okay, and we make Decisions. People even make decisions about such important decisions about uh, marriage based on circumstances. Or we make decision according to convenience. Or we make decisions according to criticism. Remember? All the years, Hannah was crying before the Lord because of the criticism of her. I don't know what term you use, co-wife, okay, husband's second wife or first wife, whichever it was. God never answered our prayer. Because sometimes the criticism of others pushes us, I want to prove to you, okay? And that's the reason. And uh, it doesn't work with God. But the fourth one we looked on Sunday is, in the kingdom of God and God's children need to make Decisions based on convictions, okay? But, biblical, deep-rooted convictions, okay? Everybody has convictions in certain areas, but they not, may not be scriptural, they may not be according to the word of God, may be passed down as tradition, okay? Old joke, real joke, but uh, this lady, newly married lady, when she makes a... Uh, Breakfast for a husband, newly married husband. No, she always cuts the edges of the, the bacon off. Okay. And, uh, husband says, why do you do that? She said, well, my mother did it. Okay. So, husband said, but did you ever ask your mother, why did she do it? She said, no. So she called up her mother and asked, why did you do it? She said, I don't know. My grandmother used to, your grandmother used to do it. So she asked her grandmother, who was still alive, and said, Grandma, why do you cut off the edges of the bacon? And she said, oh, that's because my pan was very small. Okay? So a lot of stuff which we hold on for because we have this conviction we should cut the edges of the bacon without even realizing why we need to do it. So we are not talking about that kind of conviction, conviction which is passed down. We are looking at those convictions whether there is truth in it, and truth is defined by Christ and his word. The reason is because the world around is changing so rapidly. And the culture is changing. And some change is good. Quite a bit of, bit of change is good. Okay? Change is good. It's not good. See, we have changed. 100 years back, 
we wouldn't be singing songs like this. 50 years back, we wouldn't be singing like that. Half the kind of instruments we have, we wouldn't have had. So there are a lot of change, which is good, which is not bad. But the fundamentals of our faith should never change. That's the final but one letter in the Bible. Jude will say, content, generation to generation to generation, content for the faith which was once and for all handed over to the saints. So there is a lot of change happening. Much of the change or some of the change or quite a bit of change is good. But all change is not good. We need to ask why. That's why we should have the courage to examine our convictions. You should have the courage to examine, question. Okay, that's what primarily they teach you in science. Ask questions. Okay, because like I said on Sunday, if you take Nero, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, they all have very strong convictions. Deep-rooted convictions. But they did not have the courage to examine their convictions, whether they were true or not. Okay. If you study the Bible, the last days of Jesus, you will say, Pilate had very strong conviction that Jesus was innocent. But he was too weak to act on his convictions. Okay. Some of you have very strong convictions of what is right and wrong. Especially when you are in church, very clear. But when you go to your classrooms and your offices, you are too weak to stand on your convictions. The power of the crowd is so strong that you do not have the strength, the courage to stand up and say, this is what is true and I choose to go by that. Like I said on Sunday, our spiritual birth, we have two beginnings. One is a physical beginning and a spiritual beginning. Our spiritual birth that is, begins when we are born again by the word of God and by the supernatural work of the spirit of God. You need both, otherwise it will never happen. Where the word of God is not preached, like you can be born a Muslim, you can be born a Jew, you can be born a Buddhist, you can be born a, a, a Jain, you can be born, but you cannot be born as a Christian. It's impossible. Cannot be born as a Christian. It doesn't matter how many generations of Christians were there among your ancestors. It is irrelevant. Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Okay? That's why the preaching of the word of God. The preaching of the word of God goes on in spite of all the opposition because that's the only way a person can be born again to enter into the kingdom of God which will overrule everything else when the day of judgment comes. But the word of God alone will not do the work. The spirit of God has to do that supernatural work. And you will see salvation always comes because of a deep conviction. That is brought by the word of God and through the spirit of God. Okay, Or by the spirit of God, through the word of God. A deep conviction comes when you hear the word of God. There is a conviction. That is the beginning of salvation. So if you are away from the preaching of the word of God. And away where you are totally isolated from the word of God. There will be no conviction. There will be no conviction. And even if it is a conviction, it is a human conviction. Oh, I hope my father doesn't see. Father doesn't see, then you have no conviction. 
I'm not con- oh, I hope my mother doesn't hear. As long as my mother doesn't hear, there is no conviction. I hope my teacher doesn't notice. No conviction. But those who are born again can never escape because the Spirit of God is always with you, hovering you, over you, and convicting you in your heart. So there is no escape. And the more you grow in the knowledge of God, the more miserable we become because our convictions increase, but we are not able to walk in our convictions. Okay, we'll come to that later. That's why we get into the word of God. Out, in any way, form, any possible. So salvation comes because of the ministry of the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible uses different illustrations. It talks about as persons, talks about as houses, talks about as different things. So when the, when, if you look at a person as a house, the beginning of salvation would be like laying the foundation stone. In 1st Corinthians chapter 3 verses to 11 to 15, scripture is now comparing each one of us as a house, a building. Okay, he's using the cons- the imagery of that of an engineer, of a construction worker. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation itself is Jesus Christ. If you don't have this foundation, you cannot build. You need that first stone. Okay, if this was a building, usually the first stone will be laid from there, the rest of the building goes. First stone, from there, the rest is built. So before any house is built, there is one stone that is laid and the entire dimensions of the building goes from that stone. That is called the foundation stone. Not that plaque which you see outside, that is not the foundation stone where somebody comes and inaugurates. That is not the foundation stone. The foundation stone is invisible. It is somewhere down there. But the entire building was constructed based on that foundation stone. And scripture says, that foundation stone is Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of our salvation. And then you have to build on that. That's what we've been doing. We are building on it. But God says, be very careful about how you build. Because on this foundation, you can build gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Generally speaking, he gives you six kinds of material on which you can build on this foundation. Why is it important how you build? Because each one's work will clear for that day will declare. All those who are saved, because the foundation is Jesus Christ, on the day of judgment, God will see how did you build your house. Why? Because it will be revealed by fire. And when the fire is gone through, Scripture says, it will test. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. Otherwise, if anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Why will be he saved? Because that foundation stone was right. That was not a stone which we picked. It was a stone that was Jesus Christ. So we just come into the kingdom of God with just, just with one stone. And no house. Nothing about it. Lot of people build a huge house in this world with lots of good, good, good deeds. But there is no foundation stone. 
It doesn't work with God. It has to, foundation stone has to be there. So there is a foundation stone and there are these other stones and the fire is going to test. And what are these precious stones and gold and silver? These are our deep convictions on which we build our life. That is the material which will stand the fire. That will stand the test of time. And that's what we've been looking at. Scripture talks about this stone. This foundation stone, which is Jesus Christ, can either become the foundation stone or it can become a stumbling stone. How does it become? In Romans chapter 9, verses 31 to 33. But Israel, perceiving the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Every religion has a law of righteousness. Religion talks about righteousness, even in humanism. Okay, Even in humanism, which is not a religion, but it's an ism, there is a law. There is a law. Read, uh, I forgot his name, On Liberty. Read about that was the manifesto of humanism. Or Das Kapital and Communist Manifesto about the, the law of communism. And everywhere there is this law. But the problem is, none of them can attain to the law of righteousness. The problem is why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumble at their stumbling stone. What is that stumbling stone? As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and the rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That stone, Jesus Christ, is a standard by which we will be measured. If we don't begin with him, then that stone becomes a rock of offense. We stumble over it. But if we begin with him, then God says you will not be put to shame. You will not be put. Even if all your works are burned up, you will still make it. Because you believe. So God is using this imagery about building. Okay? Engineers will understand it better. In First Peter chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, he will say, Therefore it also contained in scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion. Zion means Israel, Jerusalem, a chief cornerstone, elect Precious, and he who believes on him, that stone is the person of Jesus Christ and the, what he did on the cross, by will, will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. All the builders, all the religious people, okay, they are building, but they refuse that cornerstone. They refuse that. They will put him across as one of the prophets. They will put him across as one of the teachers. But they will not put him as the savior. That it begins from there. Okay. And then verse 8 will say, And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, they stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. So that one stone will divide everything. How you are building. Are you building with that stone as your foundation? Or have you built Big, good, but the foundation stone isn't there. So God is a builder. So he's talking to you as a builder. In Psalm 127 and verse 1, scripture will say, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Labor in vain who build it. Look at it. Unless God builds. Everybody who labors in vain who build it. Look at the, look at the, the history text you study. Where is Rome? Where is Greek? 
Greece? Where is Babylon? Where is Persia? Where are the Medes? Where are all this? Where are all this? Nations, civilizations all have come and gone and what is remaining has changed. It's unrecognizable. Where is Egypt? One nation remains. From the beginning till today. From the day that nation was born near River Jabbok till today that nation remains. It's called Israel. Because it is being built by God. It cannot be destroyed. And every force on earth possible down to our times, Hitler, everybody have tried to destroy that nation. That nation is indestructible because its builder is Christ. 2000 years ago, God started another one which is called a spiritual Israel. It's not replacement theology, a spiritual Israel called the church. Every force in human history has tried to destroy that house. It cannot be destroyed. It's indestructible. Because God is the builder of that house. Now if you come down to a personal level, scripture says, each one of us is an individual house of God. So every life on earth will be ultimately decided on this. Who built it? God or self? Who built the house? So the foundation stone of salvation, that is Jesus Christ, is a result of deep conviction. Deep conviction. In the book of Acts we saw, and we have seen it many times, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart when they heard Peter's preaching. Meaning it's a heart matter, it's not an intellectual matter. It's a heart, yes you can hear, you may not be saved, you can hear, 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 hear. One day it will hit your heart. Till then you are agreeing, disagreeing, okay, that's nice, picking up principles and all that is good. It's good for life. It's all good. But one day the word of God will hit your heart and the spirit of God starts working. And so many people, it happens sometimes just before they die. After being in the church for years, it's only then conviction hits. Because till then all the best on their good deeds, yeah, I have gone to church, I sing, I read, I pray, this thing. Then minutes before their death, they have an incredible experience where God shows who he is and who they are. And they realize, oh my gosh, I'm not saved. I'm not saved. My foundation stone is in there. And God supernaturally intervenes and saves so many people. Okay, so this conviction comes from realizing who we really are. Not comparing one another, but in the sight of a holy God. Then we realize, when we understand the holiness of God and the holiness of heaven, and the next life to which we are called, with God or away from God, we will realize there is only one way. That is the way of the cross. There is only one way. There is only one name. There is only one truth. And one foundation stone to build. Are you getting the picture? So, once the foundation stone is laid, God starts building. But not without our cooperation. We are the one who is building, but God is the one who is building. They are working together in partnership. So, if you look at it, there is an architect who has drawn everything. The builders are others. But they always take the directions from him and accordingly they are building. So, the architect holds that chart he has the picture about the finished work. So God also has a chart and he has the finished work. And that's what Romans 8, 10 verses 8 to 10 says. What does uh, 
this this is talking about salvation part of the beginning the word is near you in your mouth in your heart in your heart not in your head you know it yes but that doesn't if you if you speak from your head it doesn't st- save you still it doesn't have the power to save you you're just repeating a confession a truth it has to come from your heart there has to be conviction that you know you believe this is true in your heart if you confess with your mouth lord jesus and believe in your heart there is a deep conviction you realize you are a sinner and you realize you need a savior and he is the only savior out of that cry of your heart you cry lord jesus save me you are the lord of my salvation that is the beginning of salvation and after that god starts building like we saw in first corinthians 3 he starts building so the question is when the building is finished what does it look like the architect has his image so romans 8 and verse 29 and the next one yeah for whom he foreknew all those whom he knew one day would receive his salvation he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his son that's the image the architect has his plan his picture this is how the finished house will look like when you are building over there and the things are looking it doesn't look like the finished work but he knows ultimately it will fi- look like that when the work is going on and the building is going on he keeps on checking one day when it is finished and painted he will give it to the owner it's done and he will say ah looks exactly like the way you showed me in the beginning this is the image this is the image of his son this is to what god is trying to build us only problem this is not a contractor and a few laborers these are spiritual living people who have to allow god to work every day our life is full of choices full of choices god is will do the work i have to do the work to do my work i need to have information knowledge of the word of god to make those choices which goes in confirming me to the image of his son so everything that happens in the church is connected with this in acts chapter 2 verse 42 is actually talking about they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer so what to get a promotion in your company to get good marks in school no what is the purpose so that we can become the finished work god has in mind this is where it happens so if you do not have conviction about this deep rooted you won't be steadfast in the study of the word of god or attending church because you have no conviction about it if you do not have this conviction i need to be conformed to the image of christ jesus that is only possible through fellowship with one another where all our really deep rooted fellowship where all our misgivings and bad habits everything is exposed and we forgive and keep changing we will never be conformed into the image of Christ Jesus people avoid fellowship they avoid fellowship because they do not have conviction of what actually god is doing in their lives and wants to do in their lives and prayer and breaking of bread which is the examination of self before partaking of the healing and prayer so god says this is all there this is part of it part of it but if you do not know christ and you are part of a church what will happen you may do all this thing and it is just religion 
it still doesn't conform you into the image of Christ Jesus. That's what happened to the Pharisees. They knew the word inside out. But they were the, yeah, as far as possible from Jesus Christ's image, that was the Pharisee. But they had the knowledge of the word of God. So the foundation stone has to be there. So that's why we gather. That's why we study the word of God. That's why we keep on listening to the word of God so that we have the knowledge and the understanding of the kingdom of God, how God thinks, how God works, how his kingdom operates, so that our worldview changes according to the kingdom of God. Or our view of life itself keeps changing. We had a view which was very, very worldly. It is changing constantly because we are learning to see how God looks at life. So salvation is a constant process. And you will see in their case, salvation has an incredible impact on these people. Incredible impact. Their convictions changed completely. Completely. Jewish people, men who used to gather in Jerusalem five times a year and go to their respective synagogue on the weekend, on Sabbath, is meeting daily. Why? Convictions have changed. Absolutely changed. When fellowship was connected with rituals and festivals has become a daily part of their life. Everything has changed. Daily gathering to pray. When they prayed in the temple of Solomon or in the temple, everything is changing. Why? Because convictions and worldview has changed. So therefore, as you grow in the knowledge of God and grow in your conviction, your your convictions also will change. And some of the older convictions get reinforce, get stronger because you know it aligns with the word of God and through repetition and you seeing and learning, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. But as a writer, let me explain to you this. Always know the difference between preferences and convictions. Our preferences may change, but our deep-rooted spiritual convictions don't change. Preferences may change, Convictions which are biblical don't change. Let me explain to you. We may have preferences, our own preferences about music and songs. But our convictions about worship don't change. You may worship to one kind of song. I may worship to another kind of song. But we both have to worship, not entertain. The part about worship cannot change because it's deep-rooted and it is scriptural. That we are created and born again to worship God. Our preferences may change. If you are a very shy character, maybe you will be quietly, or maybe that's the nature, you may worship like this. You are exuberant character, you may be worshipful. Both are worship. But the songs, our mode of worship may look different. Our preferences may be different, but our fundamental convictions don't change. We We realize that we have been created to worship. We may have preferences about the food and the drink, which each one of us like. But we must have deep-rooted conviction about our body being the temple of God and is being offered daily as a living sacrifice. Therefore, we are very careful about our health because God needs a body to use for his kingdom till the last day. 
Okay, at 75, 80, if Daniel has to kneel down and pray three times a day, his knees should bend. If his knees has to bend, he has to have conviction about what he eats and what he drinks in Babylon. So we may have preferences about what we eat, but we have deep-rooted convictions of what we will eat because of who God is and what we are. We may have preferences about the work we do, the career we want to follow, but we must have deep-rooted conviction about who our true employer, our master is, which will lead to ethics, integrity, and hard work. Whichever career you choose, because we know who our boss is. Who our boss is. We may have preferences about whom to marry. Short, tall, fair, dark, educated, not too educated. But we need to have deep-rooted convictions about marriage as ordained by God, starting from Genesis chapter 2. One man, one woman. Not two men, not two, two women. Not one man, two women. Not one man, three women. Not one man, four women. No, it's deep-rooted conviction. conviction is because of what God has ordained and said it is this way. We need to have deep-rooted convi- con- convictions about what is the purpose of marriage. The primary purpose of marriage is ordained by God. It is not good for man to be alone. Marriage was for primarily fellowship. So if you cannot fellowship with somebody, why do you want to marry him or her? Understand, deep-rooted convictions about marriage. Preferences, yes. I can fellowship with her, but the problem is she's too tall. Of course, it's fine. Find a short one. No problem. Okay, preferences. We may have preferences of the clothing we wear, but we have a deep-rooted conviction saying, whatever I wear, it will be modest and be holy and glorify God because He lives in me. Preferences. Conviction. So don't confuse between these two. So how to build? How to build this house? We are building. We are using the construction which God talks about as a house. In the Old Testament, we see the house of God being built. Okay, I said the house of God being built. In the wilderness, Moses made a tent. Outwardly. Very simple. Inwardly precious. And it moved from place to place. It's basically symbolic about our life on earth. We keep on moving. We are very simple outside, but inside God is changing us from glory to glory. But when Solomon built the temple, it was not a tent. It was not a tabernacle. Just a one-off thing in Israel. And this is what David said about the house which God built through Solomon. Okay? In first, David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. Okay? Now, he doesn't use the word like we say. We say temple. God says house. Temple is for you. For me, it's a house. I want to come and dwell in this place with my people. And it has to be unbelievably magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all nations. So Solomon's temple is unique. There is only one house of God for the whole nation. 
There are not temples all over Israel. One temple. Just one temple. Okay? So understand concept. How do you put spiritual truths shown in the New Testament and connect it with the examples given in the Old Testament? There is only one house. And that one house is built only in one place. And for which they are still fighting because the others came and built a mosque over there. That's the battle that's going in the Middle East. Because... They don't want the third temple to be built in that place because it is built at the place of Mount Moriah where Isaac was to be offered. Meaning the house of God can be built only at a place where we are willing to sacrifice all. That is it. Okay, so Solomon's temple is unique. It's a one-off house. In the same way, in First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, scripture says, You also... As living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Oh, that's enough. A spiritual house. We are being built as what? A spiritual house. We too, like Solomon's. Another house is being built and it will be only one. That house which was built in Mount Moriah by Solomon will be replicated in the new millennium when you see the new city of Jerusalem. That is the house of God. One-off house. And it will be magnificent and glorious to the entire universe. As Solomon's temple was. So understand how God is using these images. In First Chronicles 29 verse to 9, you will see the building of it. Furthermore, David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom God alone has chosen, is young and experienced. The work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now let me ask you this question. When you go to study, if you're good, if when you're studying English, maths, physics, chemistry and all, is it so difficult? You can study, right? If you go to work in your office, is it so difficult? It is not. You know it's not so difficult, you can manage. But when you try to become what God wants you to be, isn't it difficult? Why? Because you're not building something for man, you're building something for God. It's difficult. That's what he's saying. It is not being built for man. It is being built for the Lord God. It's difficult. It's not easy. It demands everything from you because you are not building a house for you to dwell. You're building a life where God can dwell. So it is not easy. It is difficult. And then what does he say? Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might. How did he prepare? All my might. Now, tomorrow when you go to school and college or office, you don't prepare with all your might. Those of us who are teachers, first year we prepared. Second year we just walked in. If the text hadn't changed. This text hasn't changed in my life for 25 years. I still work with all my might. Why? Because it is still a mystery. I didn't do that with Shakespeare. Understand, all my might, and he's giving all this, his best, the most precious, the richest, in abundance. Come down. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God. First, with all of your might. Second, you put all your affection on what? Building that house for God. We set our affections on remodeling our houses and building our houses. How much time we spend on it. But he says, David says, I have put my affection on the house of my God. Over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. My own, he says, 
other than as a king what i kept my personal treasure also i'm handing it over what does it mean sometimes god will tell you not only what you have given as tithes and offerings what you have put as hefty also break it and give it does it does and david said that's that's my hefty broken and given i'm not just saying for the church okay i'm talking about in the building of the house of god the building of the house of god's will 3000 okay and all that yeah come down and the gold okay come down then verse 6 then the leaders of the father's house leaders of the tribes of israel the captains of the thousands and hundreds with the officers of the kings offered willingly so then in verse 5 he will say who is willing to consecrate himself so in the building of the house of god there is sacrifice enormous sacrifice and there is consecration if you really really are going to build your life as a house for the spirit of god to dwell it will demand consecration it will demand sacrifice you cannot give anything that is second best and all the workers in the house of god solomon's temple you will see where the best the land could give but honestly i keep telling we keep away the last portion of our time our energies our mental faculties for the building of the house of god even in our study of the word i've never yet met a father or a mother who said i'm giving tuitions to my child in the bible no physics chemistry math yes not in the word of god not in the word of god because we don't see this all this perception has to change so you have sacrifice you have consecration this is the spiritual truth in the building of this house we give our best that's what we saw in the book of acts they were steadfast in the apostles doctrine steadfast in fellowship steadfast in the judging of themselves steadfast in prayer why because a deep conviction comes upon them what is really important in life they individually are consecrated to this building therefore there has to be sacrifice so our best workers were given for solomon's temple in the same way our best efforts in life should be tuned towards the house god is building i'm telling to mothers If your child has exams beginning board exams beginning one month from now two weeks from now you will wake up early in the morning wake him or her up and sit with them and teach them but you would never do that for the spiritual part of your child's life because you don't see it there's no deep conviction there's no deep conviction there's no deep conviction those spiritual things which are eternal which is what we will take across which will be the house we have built we don't have deep conviction so the purpose of the teaching of the word of god is that convictions come and our convictions change from the things of the world to the things of god and god says i will take care of all the things you need in the world i'm just trying to change your mindset from what is temporary to what is eternal from what is below to what is above think differently my people because he says don't go with the stream don't go with the crowd you will be miserable at the end so this are all god's ways in which he builds and then when you are building this like i said follow god's 
design. You can build whatever you want. In First Chronicles chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, place of mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. By the Spirit. The Holy Spirit showed him all the plans for the house of God. What does it mean? The Holy Spirit will tell you, teach you through the word, the principles of finances, the principles of working, the principles of relationship, the principles of worship, the principles of prayer, the principles of praise. Everything that is connected to our spiritual house, he will teach you and there your convictions grow and you build accordingly. Everything. This house has many rooms. Many, many rooms. Many rooms. Everything in that has to be built according to the design given by God, not in your zeal. David had great zeal for God. I want to bring, build this beautiful big house for you. God said, good, that's a good idea. But I will tell you how I want my house. And I will give you intricate, detailed plan how the house has to be built because you are not going to stay there. I am the one who is going to stay there. So let me give you my plan through my spirit. So it has been given to us through the word of God. And as we study, we are not studying for knowledge. We are studying to build. There are many engineers here who did engineering and doing something else in some other company. Right, no? You do engineering and next you are doing googling. Now this is not. So that is knowledge, but it is not made to use at all. So here it comes. 28 and verse 19. All this said David, the Lord made me understand in writing. If God could make David understand in writing, he's, I don't know how he's in the spirit and he's writing it all down. This is how it has to be built. The plan is to be given to your son. Write it down, write it down. For us, he has given us Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. He has given how lives have to be built. And examples of failed houses. Pretty good houses, real good houses, the best house, Christ Jesus. All this has been given to us so that we learn how to build. So God conveys spiritual truths through earthly patterns. That's why we are, we are not just learning for knowledge. We are learning so that we have deep convictions and on those convictions we build the house God has to dwell brick by brick we build it. So in the New Testament, we know we are the temple. We know it. So many times we have heard it. We know it very well. We are the temple. And to build, like I said, this house of God, Hepzibah, we need deep eyes here. We need deep, unshakable convictions. Convictions have to go deep-rooted so that any storm comes, any kind of persecution comes, we will be able to stand there if needed all alone. Because the conviction is so strong. So we study from Genesis to Revelation. Like, for example, we've been looking at the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel has only 12 chapters. Right? 12 chapters. Most of it is eschatology, meaning the future events that is going to be foretold, which some of them has incredibly come to pass, word by word, some is going to come to pass. But, For an example, if you use, in that 12 chapters, if you look at lives for you and me, 
the entire 12 chapters or the entire book of Daniel is built on three convictions. Three convictions. The first conviction is in Daniel 1.8, no compromise with the holiness of God. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. You have to ask God, what is the delicacies the king has given me today, which I should not take. He will tell you each day. It is not eating. It is about spiritual truth, a physical application for our spiritual truth. Okay. The first conviction you learn from the book of Daniel is you do not compromise with the holiness of God. Even though you are a slave, a captive in a foreign land, you have been taken as a prisoner from Judah, Jerusalem to Babylon, but your convictions are very, very strong. You don't compromise with the holiness of God just because you have no control over your life. You will still stand up for what you believe is true. The second conviction you get it is from Daniel chapter 3 verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So what does he say? We will not. Compromise with idolatry. We will not compromise with idolatry. And you will see in every nation, people, few simple people are standing, taking up that stand and willing to pay the price. Like if you look at what comes in the news, yes, homosexuality, religion, relationship, marriage is legal in US. But one believing couple who runs a bakery, refuses to bake a cake decorating it with homosexual symbols. They say no. And they have been fined. They have been run out of their business. They didn't back. They were willing to lose everything because they believed this is not an image to which we will bow. They are not asking everybody to change. They are saying we will not change. So they were penalized and they were willing to pay. And they were fined two or three hundred thousand dollars. The business ran out. But other believers came around and paid that money off. It's a simple thing, but it's not a simple thing. They made a stand. When they made a stand, the whole nation knew, all the papers knew, most of them were blasting them. But the Christians were convicted, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abigo were convicted. When Daniel stood up and said, I will not defile, they also stood up and said, we will not defile like that. When a simple couple who runs a bakery stands up against the edict of a Supreme Court because they have a deep-rooted conviction that is wrong because this God who created you and me says it is wrong, God says you stand there. I will not bow before these images. I will not bow. This image is not a physical thing. There are a lot of images to which the system will ask us, subscribe, 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 or we will be chucked out. You will stand to lose in our system. And we say, I'm willing to lose. I'm fine. If he wants to save me, he can save me. If he doesn't want to save me, that is up to his sovereign. But I have a deep-rooted conviction. I will not bow. That is conviction. Some people have conviction that I will not bow because I know he will save me. No. That's not conviction. Then your conviction is condition based. Deep rooted convictions, there are no conditions. It's because, like I said, truth can stand on its own. It doesn't need something to hold it up. Truth can always stand on its own. To do something that is true, you don't need somebody to clap. That's what we see in the newspapers. Oh, this person left the bag and the auto driver returned it and the auto driver's picture. Because to be honest, it's a miracle today when that should be the norm. 
Years back in those Christian nations which had this strong Christian ethos, was these things publicized? No. Everybody took it, knew it for granted. They had deep-rooted conviction, the older generation. You don't take somebody else's property. It belongs to them. I don't want it. Today, if something like that happens, it's news. Old days, if somebody stole, that was news. Convictions have changed. But God's people stand up and say that. We have convictions. Very strong convictions. So you need to realize, here the second conviction you learn from the book of Daniel is, no compromise, we don't worship anybody other than the living God. We don't worship anything else. The third conviction we find in Daniel 6 and verse 10. When Daniel knew the writing was signed, what is the writing? Nobody should pray for 30 days. What was it? He went home. To his upper room, windows opened to Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times a day and prayed, gave thanks to God. You are saying, I will have no compromise with my fellowship with my God. I will not let anybody, anybody, my spouse, my children, my boss, my workplace, nothing. And I'm willing to lose for that, oh Lord. If that means I get a job in a company which gives me 10,000 rupees less because I'm able to fellowship with you, so be it. No compromise with that because I know ultimately how I will gain, how I will be judged. It's not about the money I brought in, but the fellowship I kept with my God. There is no compromise with that. So if you are a child of God and not interested in eschatology, but for convictions and you study the book of Daniel, you come up with these three convictions. I will not defile myself. I will not bow down to idolatry. And I will not make adjustments with my relationship with God, my fellowship with God, my time with God is up there. No, no, no. And when you come and ask me, I always tell you, do what you want. Because I know when you're asking, you have no convictions. But if you ask me, what will I do? I will give you an answer. Because I cannot force my convictions upon you. You have to have convictions simply because you are studying the word of God and hearing the word of God. Convictions have to come on their own. You cannot live on my convictions. And I cannot live on your convictions. Then what happens? Like when Moses goes out of sight, he will change your convictions and make it into a golden calf. When it's your own conviction, doesn't matter whether Moses is there or not. You don't build Something to replace God in your life. So book of Daniel, if you look at the whole 12 chapters, what are the three convictions you come up with? You come up with these convictions. These convictions are like bricks in a building. Some convictions in life are like pillars in a building. If you really, really want to know, every building you build, your house should have 10 pillars, which is called the 10 commandments. Those 10 commandments are building blocks. Building blocks. How do you, God said the whole law and the prophets hang on two commandments. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love God with all your heart? Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. Do not make a graven image of anything that is in heaven or on earth and start worshipping it. No images, no idolatry in my life. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We are very careful about what we say and do in the name of God. We don't bring, mock his name. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember, you begin, don't begin from work. You begin from rest. If you haven't rested in the Lord, you cannot do any work in the name of the Lord. The first four, you love God with all your heart. 
How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Thou shall honor your father and mother. It begins as children. That's where it starts. Then thou shall not kill. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not give false witness. Thou shall not covet. He said you loved. You loved your neighbor. That's the pillar on which you build your house. Your house is built. We are not talking about ministry. We are talking about building this house. Building this house. These are the pillars on which we build the spiritual house where God can dwell. God told Israel, I'm going to come, I'm going to check your camp and I want to live in your midst. So the tabernacle has to be midst. But he says, you know what? Have these ten laws. You keep these ten laws, I can dwell in your midst. Those are pillars. Those are building blocks. So we saw last Sunday, remember we saw a loyal soldier called Uriah. He was loyal to his God. He was loyal to his king. And he was loyal to his nation. Remember Sunday? And the temptation, the pressure was incredible. Because this is the very king who's asking him, you don't have to live according to your convictions. And the king is not a bad king. This is the great worshipper of Israel, the psalmist, who's getting him drunk to cover his own sin and says, go sleep with your wife because he's got his wife drunk and pregnant. And Uriah says, how can I? How can I do? It's a time of war. The ark is in the field. Israel is in the field. Judah is in the field. My Lord Job and the armies of Israel are in the field. I go. Sleep. He says, no, I can't do that. There's something. It's impossible. I can't do that. Why? Because this is a time of war. This is not a time of pleasure. My duty comes before anything else. It's a deep-rooted conviction. So God picks up simple, simple people. A young a teenager called Joseph in Egypt. A teenager called Daniel in Egypt. A young unknown man called Uriah the Hittite. And he really hits us with his conviction. That's why he's called a Hittite. And we look at it and we put our head in shame and say, Oh my God, without getting drunk, I had no convictions. This guy is drunk and he still has his convictions. Even the wine is not. The king made him drink. First day he wouldn't drink. Second time the king made him drink. How can you refuse the king's order? You have to drink. And the king made him drink until he was drunk. But even when he's drunk, he doesn't lose his convictions. There are many versions of Ramayana. One of the versions of Ramayana is written in the south. There is a question asked to Sita. You were with Ravana for so many years. Didn't he use you? She said, I do not know whether he used me or not. Only one thing I know. In my heart, in my mind, there was only Rama. Even if he raped me, I am still pure. Because even when I am drunk, I am sober. You have to read our own classics too. You learn. First place, you don't even know there are different forms of Ramayana. Conviction. Some of the books of India will blow your mind off. The convictions of righteous people. Convictions. That's what God is talking about. We who are born again as we grow in our convictions, we are rooted in our conviction because we are seeing the decadence of culture. 
and change happening and God says, stand there, stand there strong. We have to have this conviction. So we need knowledge. God says, without knowledge, my people perish. But knowledge should lead to convictions. I believe all the princes and young men from noble families who went from Judah to Babylon, had they all had knowledge. They all had learned the Torah by heart. But only four had convictions. So knowledge we all have. Especially here we have a lot of knowledge. Convictions do we have. Do we have. Our issue basically is this. We have so much knowledge. And because of that we get convicted. And we are miserable. Because it's your convictions that will make you take decisions. Not knowledge. The knowledge should lead to conviction. That conviction will make you take decisions that will make you stand apart in the crowd. From following the crowd. From going with the current, but to go against the current of the world because you have deep-rooted convictions. Understand that? But don't get it wrong. We are not sadhus and ascetics who retire to the Himalayas. No, our God says you are not of the world, but you are sent into the world. What does it mean? We are not, English, the two terms, we are not isolated, but we are insulated. You know the difference? We are able to touch this because it is insulated. It's not isolated. If it is isolated, there will be no power. It won't come on. So it is right there. But you can touch it because the power is insulated. We are not isolated from the world, but we are insulated by the word. We are insulated by the word because of our convictions. We are moving in the midst of evil, but we can remain untouched by it because of our convictions, like Daniel. We are separated. But in the Bible, separation doesn't mean we are apart from everybody. It means we are in contact but we are not contaminated. We are not contaminated. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 talks about Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is holy, harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. But the next words I have given you, what does it say? Jesus? Yeah. Matthew, sorry, Luke. Yeah, not Matthew 14. Luke 7, 34. I've given it. Luke 7, 34. Gives me a drink break. You have to put it side by side, then only we'll see the interesting part. He's holy, he's blameless, pure, separate from, apart from sinners, but what is he called? A glutton, a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's how the others look. But the Pharisees thought to stay out of sin, you have to be separated from the sinners. God says, no, you need to be separated from sin here, insulated from here. You can move in their midst. Can you, can you, are you given isolation chambers in your company? Sir, please, I have a request. What I am a believer. Can you give me a cubicle all to myself? They said, no way. No way. You are not isolated. You are insulated. Not isolated. You are insulated. Isolated people cannot affect the community. cannot change the world. You have to be insulated. Daniel was not isolated. He was insulated and he changed his generation. 
How did Jesus become the friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet separate from sinners? How did he achieve that balance in his day-to-day life? Matthew will tell us. There are so many places, but Matthew chapter 14. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. So he was with the multitudes. And when he had sent the multitudes away, what did he do? He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when the evening came, he was alone there. How did he insulate himself? Yet he was in constant contact with the multitudes. How? He spent time all night, early morning with his father in heaven. And then came and walked with the crowds. He was absolutely insulated. Our problem is we do not spend time with God in prayer, in the ministry of the word. And we try to go into the crowd and we realize we are not insulated. We are one of the crowd. That's the daily. He did it daily. And he says that is the way you do it. There is no other way. Understand, we need to have these convictions. And God will, because he's a father, and he knows the end from the beginning, and he's working in all of our lives, what does he do? He will keep working on us. See, it's very easy to hold convictions when we have no strife or tension in our life. But Daniel is in Judah, nobody drinks wine, everybody is eating only kosher meat. What conviction is there? But when you are brought to Babylon and everything is first offered to the idol and then brought to the king's temple and then to the king's palace, suddenly you have tension, spiritual tension. Okay? So if there is no tension or strife in your life, your convictions will really never know. So God allows these things. Like I said in the beginning, Uriah's test was powerful. Because of David. God tests or tempts no man with evil to sin. But he does put our character to test. So that we can be approved or we know whether we have convictions or not. Everybody. So don't blame anything. He allows us to be tested. There is a verse in the book of Jeremiah which is very interesting. Which you young people, especially young people sitting here and everybody should know. What it says, in those days they shall say no more. Fathers have eaten sour grapes and children's teeth are set on edge. That's what they say. You know what? Oh, now we know. We especially have got into, why are you going like, pastor, I think it is iniquity. It is not iniquity. You need just one. That's all. We are theologians. We, we can, we can give a theological discourse about our sin. It's iniquity. That's why I transgress. God says here, hey, wait a minute. Fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. There is a saying in Israel, he says, he said it didn't start in GTC, it started then in Jeremiah's days, he says. Okay. Everyone shall die for his own iniquity, sin. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on the edge. He says, because your father did something, it doesn't mean you have to do that. You have to do that. Every man, woman, child can choose to make choices out of conviction once they have the knowledge of the truth. And the job of the preacher is to see that you have that knowledge and so you can make choices as your convictions change. I'll give you an illustration for tonight. Jeremiah chapter 35 verses 1 and 2. 
This is a stunning passage if you look in the context of today's study. Listen to it all where it is coming from. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord. In the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, saying, what did God tell Jeremiah? Go to the house of the Rechabites. Okay? Rechabites. Speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord. Go to the Rechabites. Bring them into the house of the Lord. Into the one of the chambers and give them what? Why into? He'll say, Pastor, why didn't you show me this portion before I would have started drinking long time ago? <laughs> Look at where it is coming from. The word of the Lord came to that only true prophet in the land called Jeremiah. Go to the Rechabites. Get them where? To the house of the Lord and take them into one of the chambers and serve them what? He'll say, Pastor, why didn't we start that next week? Question is, who was Rechab? Who was Rechab? He was one of the generals of Saul's army, of his son Isaboshit. Let's look at him. Okay. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Bana and the name of the other was Rechab. Part of Benjamin from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a general in Saul's son's army. What did Rechab do? When David has ascended to the throne, what did Rechab do? Verses 5 to 8. Now, then the sons of Raman, Berat, Rechab and Bana set out, came to about the heat of the day to the house of Ishabeth. This is the son of Saul who is reigning, who was lying on his bed at noon. What did they do? They came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Bana, his brother, escaped. Before escaping, what did they do? Words. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. Then they struck him, killed him. What did they do? They beheaded him. They took his head off. And were all that escaping through the plain. And they brought the head of Isabashit to David at Hebron and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishabed, the son of Saul. You're free. You're fighting this family, right? Here is the hair. He brought his head. Who sought your life? The Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, this day of Saul and his descendants. That is the story of Rehab. But the poor fellows had no clue to whom they were bringing the head. They didn't know this is a man with different convictions who doesn't behead his enemies. But what happened? Verses 9 to 12. David answers Rehab and Bana, his brother, sons of Ramon, and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. When someone told me, saying, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziglag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his own bed? Therefore, shall I not require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? David commanded his young men and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishabeth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. See, different people of different convictions. One set of people have a conviction, okay, these are the enemies and this king is fighting them. If we kill this fellow and take him, he will give us a reward. That is their conviction. This man is tempting, if God raises me, it is fine, I will never lift my hand against my enemy. It is he who promised, he will put me up. If anybody kills his enemy and brings him, I will finish him off. Because that enemy happened to be my king. God will move him off. Different convictions. Okay, so this is the story 
of that man, Rekab, or however you pronounce it. Okay? This is the history of the Rekabites. Their father is a cold-blooded, treacherous murderer, a general who killed his own king for reward and cut his head off. That's their father. So, father's bite on sour grapes. God says, children's teeth doesn't have to be set on edge. So there is a Rechab in every family. Though we all want to say that our families are pristine, pure, which is not true. There is a Rechab in every family. Especially in India. When wedding proposals come and they will say, okay, oh, what does that do? That one do, that one do. And that fellow who had the proposal, we heard about, ah, no, 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 that is not directly related to us. Though it's very directly related, he's a recap. We want to cover that. So everybody has a recap, but we don't have to choose to follow him. In your group, there may be a recap in the hostel you stay. In your class, there could be a female Rekab. It's your choice whether you want to follow that one or not. It's your choice. You cannot say the pressure is too much, I have to follow him. God says no. That is the incredible thing from God. This is an incredible test for the Rekabite. This is from God. Call the Rekabites. Take them in the inner chamber. Give them wine to drink wine. In Daniel's case, it was a pagan king. In Uriah's case, it was an Israelite king. In the Rechabites case, it is the king of Israel, God of Israel. Understand? Okay, let's come to Jeremiah chapter 35. 3 to 5. Then I took Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habaniah, his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Anan, the son of Igdaliah, man of God, which is by the chamber of the princes, above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Then I said before the sons of the house of Rechabites, bowls full of wine and cups, and told them, drink wine. Drink wine. Drink wine. I mean, imagine, if I were to call you home and say, all of you come over here today, you know, I'm going to give you all a little wine. Telling you, I don't know. I won't try it. I don't know. <laughs> if I were to give it, you'd say, Pastor, give it. Listen to the answer. But they said, we will drink no wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father commanded us saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. So they have two people. One there is the father, Rechab, who is the murderer, and he was son who was righteous. We chose to follow the other one, not the first one. Our convictions doesn't come the murderer. The convictions come from our great-grandfather who was incredibly righteous. Where does the conviction come from? Where does your conviction come from? Understand? This is the guy who cleaned out Israel of idolatry, of Baal worship. This father. One of the instruments God used to clean out idolatry. At that time, the father had told generations back. How many generations earlier? He had told, where is Saul? Where is Isabeth? Where is Jeremiah's time? 490 years have finished. Or how many years? Hundreds and hundreds of years have gone by. 
Generation after generation after generation of Rechabites are passing on. They're still called Rechabites because the first ancestor is Rechabite. But they're saying the second one was Jonadab. And he told us, don't drink, we won't drink. When you are in the house of God, offered wine by the prophet of God, they said our convictions are so deep, we will not drink. We will not drink. How strong are our convictions? How strong are our convictions? It's not about wine. This is about convictions. Though you need to have conviction about wine. He had taught his children to fear God only. And as an example, to refrain from wine and from idolatry. The prophet is saying this to them in the house of the Lord. And they are saying, no, our father said so. There is no magical magic in the words of a father and mother. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is what the father or the mother has said. If it is of deep conviction about the holiness of God, we should be able to hold on to it. Hold on to it. Onto it. This is the choices people make. So that's what God is saying. Don't blame your father or your ancestor or your pressure, your friend in the college or this thing. He says, no, each one's teeth is sour because you chose to bite sour grapes. It is not because of somebody else. If you have convictions, you can stand alone. 600 years of living in righteousness. That is Noah. And one failure after 600 of getting drunk and Ham chose to follow that one failure and not 600 years of righteousness. Why? That's what he chose. While Shem and Japheth chose to follow the 600 years of righteousness and walk backwards and cover the nakedness of their father. Who do you choose? Who do you choose? Father's teeth may bite on sour grapes, but your teeth doesn't have to be on the edge. You stand for what you believe is true. David's sons refused to see the righteousness, the integrity, the love, and the repentance of their father David. Instead, they focused on his failings alone. And each one of them chose to be a rebel and not to be a man of God after God's own heart like their father. So the sons are all wiped out. They are not there in history. But the father still says, you know what? I know you made all these mistakes, David. But he chose to come back and you will be always counted as a man after my own heart. Okay. This is this is where we make excuses and God says, no. We all have to have convictions. And we need to choose to walk and follow people who have convictions. So therefore, listen to what God says now through Jeremiah. It was a test. Even Jeremiah did not know what God was doing. But God knew the Rechabites, which Jeremiah did not know. Look to what God says in verse 12. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandments. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking to you, you did not obey me. What are you saying? He says, go tell Judah and Israel. 
Because you see, I rise up in the morning and through prophets and scribes and preachers and rabbis, I keep on teaching you, teaching you, teaching you, teaching you. You don't obey. Oh, it's too difficult. It is not possible. How can anybody keep this commandment? So difficult the world. It's so compromising world. I can't do it. He says, go tell them about the Rechabites. Their father, hundreds of years, gave them one instruction. Don't drink, any of you. Till today they won't drink. If a man can keep the commandments of his earthly father, O Israel or Judah, why can't you keep the commandments of your heavenly father? Don't say it is not possible. It is not possible. Convictions. We change as our convictions. Many of our failings, because we did not know, we do not have convictions. Now that we have convictions, God says, keep changing and stand firm on your convictions. And you know what God tells the Rechabites in verses 18 and 19? He tells them. And Jeremiah said to the house of Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab by your father and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he commanded you. He's saying, your conviction was right. If what your father told me was according to me. And you kept it without knowing I was the one who told your father. Because you obeyed your father and kept it, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. There will be always a Rechabite who will be ministering before God forever. This is a promise to those who walk in their convictions. can stand before God always. Always. That's what God is talking about. Because the Bible is full of stories. These are not fiction. They're stories of real men and women. And we learn from them. And that's why we go back to the old stories, the old passages, the old messages to reinforce our convictions. And we keep gathering together. When we stray away from the word, we start falling apart. We come back so that we become a people of convictions. And if we don't, if we are not a people of convictions, we lose our ability to bring about any change wherever God has placed us. Getting the picture? This is our struggle. Our struggle is this. It's not that we don't have convictions. We do have. But it is connected with something else. Matthew 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and God and mammon means simple translation, money. But more than that, mammon means gain. We have Convictions only when we see gain in something. Otherwise, we don't have convictions. That's our problem. In the things of God, in the spiritual things, because there is no instant gratification, there is not a paycheck that is coming now or at the end of your life. There is nothing that is promised primarily now. We don't see gain, therefore we don't have convictions. But in the things of the world... We have conviction and we will do. If you want, if you get into the tennis team or cricket team or this thing and your coach says, okay, do you drink? Yes, sir. Today, stop. You will stop. Why? Because your contract is five crores. You will stop. Because you see gain there. Oh, what do you want to do? I want to go to IIT. Okay, we'll put you for coaching. Okay, what are the conditions? You have to come for class six days or seven days a week. The classes begin at six. You have to start at five and finish at 11 in the night. No problem. I'm there. Why? Because you see gain. 
That's our problem. Our problem is this, in the things of God, we don't see gain. Therefore, it's not that we don't have convictions. We do have convictions. But it's all connected with the world. But God is looking for a set of people who will have convictions about God. About God. The person of God. The testimony of God. And His kingdom. And ultimately, when everything is over and done, it is those people who stand up in history. Those people who changed history. The ones. You read in the Bible. So when you study this, study this, you say, Lord, make me a man, a woman, a child of conviction. Why? Because when you look into the world, Joel talks about the world in the last days in Joel chapter 3. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord may be tomorrow. There are multitudes who have no clue. Judgment is set. So what does God need? God needs, I need men, women and children of conviction who will stand in their classroom, stand in their offices, stand in their workplaces so that when they look at you, they will realize, I can't be like this. You convict them. You convict them. You convict them. Because the people are in the valley of decision. They are not going to read this. They are not going to hear a message. They are not going to log in and listen. But God says, you are there. Nobody listened to a rabbi preaching in Babylon. Everybody saw Daniel. Nobody saw a priest standing up to offer worship to the living God. They saw multitude upon multitudes and multitudes of every nation in Babylon, including those who are from Judah, face down before an idol. And they saw three men walking in the opposite direction to the fire. They saw that three. These three is what is written about, the conviction that brought. Even the king stood up finally and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, your God is God. God is God. Because multitudes are in the valley of decision. And he needs men and women and children who have conviction. Otherwise, your class will fall apart. But they should not fall apart because they did not have a testimony of God. Let them fall apart in spite of God's testimony. You stand there. You say, I know my God. And I'm willing. I'm consecrated. Set apart. Sacrifice. Allowing him to build his house in me. And I will stand alone if I have to stand alone. The reason is because multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision. And the day of judgment is close. Very near. Very near. Very near. Yeah. For weeks, for months. Every, every Newspaper, news media and news was castigating the church and the believers and going black. But when the storm hit Houston, who was there? Who was there? The church was there. The church is doing more than FEMA or the state government or the local authority. The church is there everywhere helping out. Why? Because in the time of testing, there will be a set of people who will rise up saying, we have conviction. We have conviction. You see, every church, door is open. Except the mega pastor with the biggest church in Houston, because of criticism from the mainline, today he opened his church when he has the largest revenue. That's why I have problem with prosperity preachers. They got all the money in the world, but they won't open the doors for help. 
But all the other churches are open and all the believers are out helping out. From as far as from different states coming with their own boats and going through the valleys and the rivers, which every street has become rescuing people. Why? You can be castigated by the mainline media. It doesn't matter. At the hour of test, you will rise up and say, I am a man of conviction. There is a problem over here. My God has taught me how to take care of people. Think. Think. Think how God has made us. What are our convictions? We are not a people who spend on ourselves. We are a set of people who spend on others. Because our God is the God who spends on us. That's how our conviction comes from. Conviction. Therefore you will see the difference. Red crescent will be seen only where the crescent is there. The red cross will be seen every nation. Whether Christian or not. Why? Because they know our God shows no discrimination. No language, no religion, no barrier. Anybody is in need. Our God and his people goes. Understand. Have convictions about life. Believe in the truth. Stand on the truth and say, Lord, build your house in me. I want to be the house of the living God. I want you to dwell in me. So that when you grow up, when you go into places, be a Daniel. Be a Daniel. Stand there. Be a Joseph. Be a Uriah. Be a true Rechabite. Our father said so. Do you know your scripture? No. Why are you standing like that? Because our father in Grace Tabernacle, Pastor James, taught us, and I know it is true, therefore we stand. Be able to say. Because my children still say that, not my own children, my spiritual children still say that everywhere. 15 years, 16 years, 20 years later, they'll say that, you showed us a way, you were the signpost, you showed us we still walk in that way. 20 years, 25 years, you showed us a way, we walk in that. Conviction. Be that signpost in the lives of people. And say that, yes, we saw you. And we were convicted. We were convicted. Be not compromise and move with the crowd because it's even dead fish float downstream. But to go upstream, you need to know God. Walk with God. And you won't be empty. You will be full. You won't be alone. You will always have the company of His Spirit. You will have no time to waste because you know you have to redeem the time because the days are evil. You will never be discontented because you cannot be in the presence of God and be discontented. You have contentment. Whether you have or not in this world because it all comes from knowing God. So you are not studying this for knowledge. But yes, also for knowledge. Out of that will come our convictions. We shall be called a people who had true biblical convictions in life. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord, once again. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. We just lift you up, O Lord. Yes, Father, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Multitudes. So many. All around us. Every city, every town, every village, every nation. Multitude in the valley of decision. And you need testimonies. Simple people. Ordinary people. Young and old. A Samuel to stand up before Eli. A Joseph to stand in Egypt. A Daniel to stand in Babylon. A Uriah to stand before a king. And a Rechabite to stand before a prophet. Who will live and walk according to the convictions God's Spirit has put in them. 
Help us, Lord, that these convictions go deep, 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 so that through us, because of us, you may turn the lives of others towards you. Build your house in us, O Lord, and dwell in us. Thank you, Father. You brought us safely. I pray, Father, you reach us home safely. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.